Good morning, everyone. I love your worship in this house. I love that you are a worshiping house. You love God and it shows in your worship. Come on, Michael, let's just keep it going. Father, I thank you that you are giving us the power and the strength and the anointing to bring down the demonic walls that have tried to come against our families. Stand to your feet with me. Let's keep worshiping. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy. I raise a
ruckus, such a roar of the Spirit of God that the army will just go right in and it'll already be won. Come on, worshipers. There's things going on in your life. There's warfare going on, but you can raise a hallelujah right in front of the warfare. I raise a hallelujah. Come on, let's worship together. I raise a hallelujah. Come on, worshipers, let's worship. I raise a hallelujah. Let's break down the warfare enemy right in his own camp. Come on, Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. I raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah. Your sound is causing the stronghold over this area to come down. Raise a this weekend with so many coming to Christ and Father those that were set free. Father we take this time right now and we pray for this great nation of ours. Father we pray over the things that have transpired and we rebuke that storm that's on the east coast Father that no harm shall come no destruction, no force because there's power in the name of Jesus and we pray for the healing balm of Gilead to pour over those who've had this tragedy hit this weekend in Texas. Now, Father, we pray that they are restored and renewed and that the Comforter shall come. And now, Father, we pray for this nation. This is truly one nation under Thank God. You, we ask your blessings upon this nation and this nation's face turns to you for everything. And then, Father, that we stop right now in this house and we give thanks. For everything that you've bestowed upon us. We give you thanks, God. Well, Father, if we woke up tomorrow with only the things we that we gave Lord. thanks for, what we would we worship have? You. We thank We'd have you. nothing without you. So we thank you, Father, for the very breath in our body, the resurrection power that you've given us for eternity. But while we're on earth, I ask you to touch those who've come into this house today. With a sickness or disease. That your healing. We ask you to begin the manifestation of a miracle in their life. 
touch them right where they are. Touch them in their mind, their bodies, their emotions. Father, if they're watching at home, touch them right. There is no distance in prayer. We send our prayers to the hospitals, to the places of work, and to the homes. We ask, Father, that they feel your very presence as we feel it in this house. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit is in charge today. And we give you full reign. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated this morning. What, a, what an honor and a joy for my wife to be here for the very first time. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Pastor. We, in the short time we've known uh, your folks here and your pastors, we've come to really uh, enjoy being with them, endure the, the uh, uh, fellowship that we've had. Yes, and, we have. And we've been looking forward to ministering to you this morning. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to take them out. We're going to open them to the book of Genesis. We're going to take you through the whole Bible today. <laughs> and I've got, what, 32 minutes. Oh, 700,000 words, 66 books. But you're going to have to do it because you, you talk a lot faster than me. Huh? You got about 15 minutes. Well, so I was kind of stretching it just a little bit there. Okay, so. I grabbed some gifts for you. Won't you all open to receive? Women of the nation, pray who would like this one. I need some help. So, I can't yeah, you really got those high heels on. Get some help. My new worship. Teach us how to pray. That's the one I just did. Move faster. Rise of an orphan generation, longing for a father. That's my husband's book. And from grief to glory, rediscovering life after loss. Loved ones are not in our past, but they are in our future, alive and well. In the book of Genesis, we want to minister to you about identity. So many times uh, that in, in, this, in this time and age, people are trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to figure out the identity. They're trying to figure out where they belong and, and, and anything about them. And, and as an identity, a man will walk up to another man and he'll stretch his hand out and he'll say, Hi, my name is, and the person will respond with the name. Immediately afterwards, we go, What do you do for a living? And they'll respond, and then we'll stand there and look and hope our wives walk up because we got nothing else after that. <laughs> we just look at each other. And, but, but women, you begin to talk about We things. don't really care what you do. We're all about who are you. Who are you? And so many women have been attacked in their identity, and men too, because the enemy does not want us to know who we are. The enemy does not want us to know that we belong to Christ and that he is the one who's living inside of us. The enemy doesn't want us to know that I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And he goes after our identity, trying to make us not know who we are so we won't fulfill our God-given purpose on the earth. Now, this is what my wife does in the ladies' room. She talks just like this to everybody in the ladies' room. Men don't do that. There ain't no talking in the men's room. There's no looking around. Look forward. It's not time to meet Jesus. Just get in and get out. But you women, you begin this long, and, and, and it's not. You're missing a great opportunity. That, you got a captive audience to witness. <laughs> They're in a stall. They can't get past me. No, we get in, we get out. You've never been in the men's room, but I've been in the ladies' room because I've had to pull her out because we're missing flights. So in the Bible. <laughs> So in the Bible, in, in Genesis, we're going to talk about identity of a man named Jacob. And we're going to start in verse 24. Now, there's a history with Jacob. He has a lineage. He has a, 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 a very great lineage. Yeah, of course. His granddad, granddaddy was Abraham. 
His daddy was Isaac. So he, he was born in the right family. I don't know about you, but maybe you weren't born in the right family like Jacob. He was born in the right family. He had the DNA of the blessing of God right into his grand, grand lineage. But he still didn't know who he was because his mama taught him how to trick and deceive and cheat. His mama taught him that. And you say, I would never do that as a mama. And yet, how many times have you told your kid when the phone rings, tell him I'm not here? But Jacob finds himself at a place where he's not happy with who he is. He's trying to figure out who he really is. He knows his lineage, but he is not comfortable with what he's created as an image on the earth. So let's pick it up in verse 24. It says, And now Jacob found himself alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you, let you go unless you declare a blessing upon me. Now we find this very interesting because if you notice, Jacob is, is named by name, but the man is not. It, the man, M in man, is capitalized. The H in he is capitalized. So we know it's just not a man, and you're not supposed to do that in, in writing unless it's a formal name. So who could that have been? It's not a formal name, and it's not an angel. It has to be one of the Godhead to have the capitalization. And we know it's not the father because even Moses was hidden in the rock, and, and basically he said, I'll risk one eye. You know, if I can just look at your backside. So you, you, we can't look at the Father the, because of the brilliance and the glory, especially in this position before Jesus came to give us something to go through. But, and it wasn't the Holy Spirit because he's a spirit and can't be wrestled with and touched. So this has to be Jesus having come wrestling with Jacob, just like Jesus has wrestled with you and your identity and helped you. And we know even though Jacob was born into the right family and he had the right DNA, and I'm sure he was taught much about who God is, every one of us like Jacob have to be alone and figure out who we are in Christ. And that's what he was doing. He was wrestling. And, and though it, when you read it in context, you know that it wasn't the first time that they've had this encounter because Jesus, the man, says to him, let me go for day is breaking. In other words, we've wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and all your life we've been wrestling, but no matter how much we've wrestled, you still say, stay the same old person. So he said, just let me go. We'll, we'll do this dance another time. We, but no, Jacob said, you know what? I'm sick of myself. I'm so sick of myself that I'm willing to say, I won't let you go until you bless me. And that word bless in the Hebrew means to put fire on the head. So he was saying, until you change my head, the way I think, the way I speak, the way I act, the way I live, until you change me, I'm not letting you go. Now we all come to that place. We've all come to that place in our life where we say, enough is enough. I've got to change. And my mama can't change me. My grandpa can't change me. But this man can change me. And so we pick it up here and it says, and then, the, then he said to the man, let me go for day is breaking. And he said, bless me. And the man responded and he said, what's your name? And in shock, he whispered. He said, I'm Jacob. I'm a schemer. I'm a trickster. He, he was embarrassed. To he, confess. He finally got real. With who God. he was. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, the trickster, the schemer, 
But Israel, contender with God, for you have contended and have power with God, and now with men, for you have prevailed. And then Jacob responded, and he said, tell me, what is your name? And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And the angel of God declared a blessing on Jacob there, and Jacob named that place Peniel, or the face of God, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and my life has been spared and not snatched away. Now he was headed to his cross, the salvation. But here we, we hear Jacob saying, you've changed my life. And God says, now you have power with me and you have power with men. But now let's go back a little bit. He touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. And, and so now Jacob, and I want you to understand, God did not cripple Jacob. But Jacob now walks into a restaurant, let's say today's, and he walks in and people see his face. Oh, and they look at him and say, that, that's Jacob. Mm-mm, don't do business with him. He'll trick you. He'll cheat you. He's a schemer. I don't care who his granddaddy is. You can't trust him. But then all of a sudden, he's got a little different walk. Hmm. And he's walking different. Because what happens with you when you get born again, you carry yourself in a different manner. It doesn't mean what comes out of your mouth. People see it in you and they come up to you and say, you look different. There's something different. You're marked by God from the very moment you receive him into your life. Because when you walk in, the living God walks in with you. Because now you possess something that they're attracted to. It's not good enough to go to church all your life. It's not good enough to say, I love Jesus. It's not good enough that you're an American. You're going to have to have a walk change. And when you have a walk change, everybody knows. Everybody knows. When I was Miss America 40 years ago, not a soul, not a reporter, not a person said, I think that girl might love Jesus. Honey, everybody knew I loved Jesus. You've got to make sure people know who you love. You've got to make sure people know who you are. That you are not just one run-of-the-mill somebody. You belong to the Most High God. He's bought and paid for you. And you've got a future and a destiny that's bigger. Now flip in your Bible to the third chapter of the book of Daniel, the third chapter of the book of Daniel, verse 16. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is one we just talked about because for a number of years I ran a a large ministry in this country. And and, and I, I had acknowledged that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, born of a virgin, walked this earth as a man, crucified, dead and buried. And if I called upon him, I would have eternal life. I, 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 yeah, I can repeat that. But I had no personal relationship with him. So you were just like every devil in hell. They know who Jesus is. Well, thanks for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that you were just like the Satan. He knows who Jesus uh, that, is. That, you made your point the first time. So, <laughs> what did they do to you yesterday? So, so, but I, I found myself one night on the sofa about 3 o'clock in the morning. I was watching TV and all of a sudden I said to the Lord, I do not like what I see represented on TV. And he said, then you need to get up off the sofa and do something about it. Understand this. When you talk to God, he'll talk back to you. But he's not just going to leave you. He's going to ask you to act on what you feel. And it was at that very moment that I began a personal relationship with Christ. There's a difference acknowledging that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. There's a difference with a Bible in every hotel room and knowing what's inside the Bible in your heart. 
So I had this born-again experience, and Cheryl and I began this journey of our ministry. And one day I was ministering with her, and we were in a a larger church. And between services, we went and met the people out in the foyer. And I had no idea, but this woman had come up to me and started poking me in my side. She just kept poking me. And finally, I turned to her. I said, ma'am, may I help you? And she said, "Uh, yeah, um, um, do you not know who I am? I said, no, ma'am, I I." I honestly don't. TV doesn't work that way. We don't see you. You can see us. But And she, she said, uh, I used to work for you. I said, I, I still, she said, I said, why are you poking me? She said, I told my husband I had to come down here because I had to see if you were real because you're not the man you used to be. Your walk changed. Your walk changes. Your countenance changed. Your demeanor changes. Why? Because you have something inside of you that transforms you, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So now we're going to pick it up with Daniel. Daniel in verse 16, 316. Pardon me? 316. Three Hebrew children. Now the, the story behind this is there was a decree in the land that says you're going to serve my golden idol. But if you don't, I'm going to kill you. That's what the king had said. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had heard this. And they replied to the king in verse 16, Nebuchadnezzar, it is not necessary for us to answer you on this point. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, king, that we'll not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar now became full of fury, and his facial expressions were changed to antagonism. And he, 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 be, he was so angry, his outward appearance began to contort. And so he turns and, and he says, he says about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I command that the furnace shall be heated seven times hotter than it was usually heated. I'm going to teach these boys a lesson. And then he commanded the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these three men were bound. Now he's tying them up. They were bound in their tunics, their undergarments, their turbans, and their other clothing, and they were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace now seven times hotter, the flames and the sparks from that fire killed those men who handled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, saw and was astounded and jumped up, and he said to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of that burning, fiery furnace? And they said, we did, O king. That's right, but now I'm not just seeing three. Now I see four men. Now there's a few points in this message. Number one, he said, tie them up because they're not going to be able to get out of this. But the fire was stoked seven times hotter. He had no idea he was playing right into God's hands. My favorite part of the whole story, though, is the identity set forth in the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they said to the king, our God's able to deliver us from this fire, and he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to your God. We're going to serve him. And that's what we need to hit the rubber hitting the road in our lives is we need to stop treating God like a Coke machine. If I put my money in and put my hand out, he's supposed to give me what I want. We've got to learn how to serve him. If he never does another thing for us, if he never does one thing we're asking him, he deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He deserves our adoration. Now for time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were asked to come out of the fire. They did. And, they, and Nebuchadnezzar now says, basically, what God can deliver in this way? 
And then if you flip in your Bible, it begins to say that the fire had no power upon their bodies and not, not a hair on their head was singed. Neither were their garments scorched or changed in color. And then he said, blessed be, he's blessing their God. He's now acknowledging that their God can deliver. But I want you to understand something later on. Even though he made a decree in the land that you should not talk bad about this, Nebuchadnezzar later was found crazy eating grass in a field. Because he had a head knowledge of God, but he never had a heart change. See, if you have the head knowledge, but not a heart change, it'll drive you crazy. You have to have a heart change. Now, I'm going to give you the last scripture as we conclude our message today. Because everything is leading to one final point. John chapter 2, verse 1. I'll read it to you quickly. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was invited with his disciples to the wedding, and the wine had gone. And the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what is that to you and me? For my time, my hour to act has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now I want you to understand something. If Jesus came in the building today, you would not have introduced us. You would have introduced him. But this is more important about the mother at this moment. Not because she was Mary. Because she was Mary at 14. But because she's the mother of Jesus. Her, her position, her identity was known as the mother of Jesus. And so her identity brought her to this point. The mother is there. She was told about her son. And those angels began to describe his life. And when Mary said, be it unto me, the living God came inside of her. And we only find her a few other times in the Bible. We find her later on when Jesus is left behind. And she and Joseph go away and come back. And they, she said, what are you doing here? And he said, mom, you above everybody else should know. I have to be about my father's business. Because she had a knowing. She had a word from God. And then she says, they're out of wine. He says, my miracle ministry hasn't started. And he said, woman. Now, some people will say, he was rude. No, he's never rude. My Bible says, dear woman. There was a transformation at that very moment. He didn't say mother. He said, woman of God who was created. And this is your identity for this moment to launch me into my miracle ministry. And in doing so, you're setting my course to the cross. As much as she loved him. No mother would ever do that to their child. Because remember, they told her everything. They said, oh yes, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. But they'll beat him. And you'll never recognize him in his face. And mamas can't do that. But she said, today I need a Messiah more than I need a son. I need a she began his miracle ministry. And you know, the interesting thing about that story was her identity had always been the mother of Jesus. But it wasn't called upon until transformation was needed. And she said, I need my Messiah. That's my question to you today. Do you need your Messiah? Join hands with someone, if you would, as we close today. I want you to understand something. At the end of the story, you sang about it when Jesus went into the tomb, took back the keys of death, hell, disease they ran to the tomb 
The other Mary came back crying and said they've stolen his body. But the mama never went. The woman of God never went. She said because a promise from God never fails. She said he'll have a reign without end. I expected him to be gone and to ascend to heaven. But at the cross, she was there. And I want you to understand something. He never forgot his mom. Because one of the last things he did at the cross was, this is your mother, this is your son. He said, Mom, I'm all right. Because I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. He's gone to prepare a place for you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And I'm going to ask you this question. You might have a Bible. You might have a cross around your neck. You might have acknowledged that Jesus Christ was the Son of God because from your upbringing, it was preached to you. It was taught to you. It was read to you. But do you have a personal relationship with Him? It means accepting and receiving and having the living God inside of you. And when you do, you have power over men and with God. For it delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it delivered our Savior from the cross. And because He was delivered, He can deliver you now. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you have, and you've grown cold to Him, you might have acknowledged Him by name, but you've never received Him by the Spirit. You can have your lunch on the table, but if you don't eat it, it'll never sustain you. Do you have the living God inside of you? I want to pray for you, and I'm going to ask you one question now. Do you want to make sure that if you closed your eyes on earth, you'd open them in heaven, and you'd say, he'd say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have entree into eternity, for your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Or would he have to dip his brow and look away like Jacob did? And I can't even look you in the eye for the things I've done. I'm ashamed. That's the question today. Well, we can remedy that. We can guarantee an eternal life with you. And you can have power with God and with men. For you can have the living God inside of you. And how do you do that? You receive him into your life. And you make him Lord of your life. If you want me to pray for you in the next 15 seconds, squeeze the hand of the person that you're holding. It might be a friend, a neighbor, a stranger, a husband, or a wife. But the reason I do it this way is because the Bible says it's an outward expression and inward change. You're just telling the person on the left or right, I want you to be a part of my walk. I want you to witness what's going on in my life. And I want you to know what's going to happen to them. They're going to be there and they're going to say, I've sat in that same seat before and I can help walk you. All the way. 1999, when our daughter went to heaven, I grabbed her hand at five minutes to eight in the morning. I said, honey, I'll walk you all the way. But at the last minute, I'm going to turn you over to one who will take you all the way home. And his name is Jesus. They're going to walk you as far as they can, squeeze someone's hand. Now, with no one looking around, if someone squeezed your hand, I will not embarrass you. But take that hand of the person who squeezed your hand and slip it in the air where I can see it right now. Why do I ask you to do that? Because the moment that you had your hands down and the moment that you began to lift them up, and I see your hands, you began to reach up to God, and in His love for you, He had already begun to reach down to you and to touch you. Now, the last thing I'm going to ask you to do as we get ready to conclude the service is, 
If someone raised their hand with your hand, hold on to that hand and do me the last favor. Stand to your feet with that loved one right now. Because what you need to know is you're not in this walk alone. That if you stand up for him, there are other people that will stand up for him with you. And that you don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to be embarrassed. Because this is the easiest place to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. And that you are making him the focal point of everything in your life. Maybe you didn't squeeze someone's hand, but you do want to be included in this prayer. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to stand to your feet. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Now what I'm going to ask everyone in this house to do is right now repeat after me. It's a prayer because words are powerful. It's the spoken word. Some people call it the sinner's prayer. Some people call it the prayer of dedication. When I prayed this prayer, I said it was my prayer that I told the Lord, just take me like I am. And with his loving kindness, he wrapped his arms around me and embraced me. So let's everyone in this house pray this prayer if we could. Are you ready? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, today, today, I declare, I declare that Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. Of my life. He lives in me. He lives in me. I have him on me. I have him on. And I can feel him all around me. I feel him all around me. And because of his shed blood. Because of your shed blood. My sins have been forgiven. My sins have been forgiven. And today. And today. I stand. I stand. Denying hell. Denying hell. With the promise. With the promise. Of heaven. Of heaven. In my life. In my life. Now those of you that are standing, you may be seated. And if you believe that with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Let's everyone in the house seal it with amen and amen and amen. Now you know.